I scream, you scream, we all scream for quality science fiction and fantasy content. For an extra scoop of sword and lasery goodness, go to patreon.com slash sword and laser. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you. And this week, we're bringing you an extra host uh, joining us from Alienating the Audience, Andrew Heaton. Uh, thanks for being with us, man. Hello, Tom and Veronica. Thank you for having me on. And uh, thank you for having me on Alienating the Audience. That was so much fun. Wait, so what is, tell me more about Alienating the Audience. So I host a weekly sci-fi podcast where I endeavor to go so deep into sci-fi that if you listen, your virginity will grow back. That is the the goal that I have. Uh, so I, I do kind of alternate between really getting into themes of things. So like Tom, Tom is on this week. We discussed Deep Space Nine and try to get into what's the deeper meaning of Deep Space Nine? What were they trying to communicate? What were the ideas that were being played around with with it? Uh, but then other times I'll bring on academics. Uh, like I'm now friends with multiple Duke professors because I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll reach out to like, like I'm, I'm, I'm friends with the head of biology at Duke now because he's related to Star Trek. And so I, I talked to him, I was like, like, could you explain biology to me using Star Trek? And he totally is game for it. And, and That's so I'll bring on uh, 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 science consultants and people like that as well. So it tends to kind of alternate between uh, thinky, substantive science stuff and nerd culture. That's awesome. That kind of reminds me of Factor Fictional, a show I used to do on uh, oh, right. Vision Three yeah. back in the day. Um, we would this is like ancient history at this point, but we would bring in experts to talk about uh, the science behind all the stuff you see in in sci fi fantasy films mm -hmm. or comic book films or what have you. So we would talk about like the um, what's the uh, like you know black holes or space travel or, or right. time travel, those kinds of Ferengi. things. It was super fun. Yeah. We didn't touch on Frankie. Hmm. They they all hang out and go on Star Trek cruises together and like get get free admission and just have to do PowerPoint presentations on warp drives. Like there's like a whole clique of people and they're fun. I like them. Amazing. So of course you're on the show. So you know that we uh, do a little segment called What Are We Drinking? Um, mm -hmm. Andrew, why don't you, or Heaton, you prefer Heaton or Andrew? I prefer Heaton. I feel like I'm back okay. in college. I feel chummy, but you can call cool. me either. I have one person at my office that calls me Belmont, and so I'm getting a little bit used to that. But that's what I call – that's what my brother's nickname is, so it gets mm -hmm. confusing. Well, it's not a nickname if it's the actual name. If, if I'm yeah. talking to my family and for some reason I refer to myself in the third person, it's very confusing because we're all Heatons. So it sounds yeah. like I'm making some bizarre statement about our, statement. like a <laughs> dynasty or something. It doesn't really compute. Heatons, <gasps> attend me. Uh, it, it answers your question. I am drinking uh, coconut water. I mm. ran out of Laphroaig, which is my liquor of choice. And uh, and so I've hit the strategic stockpile of coconut water, which is delicious. Mm. Uh, now I feel bad uh, because in your honor, uh, knowing uh, you were a scotch drinker and a fan of the Scots, uh, mm -hmm. I pulled out some Lagavulin 16-year-old. Today. Oh, nice. That's that's some that's some high shelf single malt. I really wish I could share it with you right now. I'm so sorry. Ah, that's no, that's good. Lafroig and Lagavulin both. Mm -hmm. they're, they're wonderful because first of all, it's kind of like drinking a campfire. They're very mm -hmm. peaty. Uh, and, and under non-quarantine conditions, I also like them because when you drink them, everyone at the bar can smell that you're drinking it. I, I enjoy the, the assertive <laughs> nature of the odor of those, it those liquors. your presence. Yeah. Yeah. I am drinking a four point uh, KSA uh, beer, so it is the um, the light and crisp Kolsch style ale KSA. Mm, that sounds delightful. Mm. Yeah, I keep buying twelve packs of it, and that's been my quarantine beer. Yeah, nice. Every day you buy a twelve pack of it. Every day, it's been <laughs> rough I, going. I, I wonder, <laughs> are, are they are they capitalizing on that and saying like we're we're the quarantine beer, we're we're the beer to like you know drink in your bathtub? Like like normally you'd shy away from that, but I can kind of see that being a thing right now. You know, if they want to send me free beer and have me be mm -hmm. the spokesperson of mm -hmm. Four Point KSA, the beer you want in a quarantine. When we think about the fate of the earth, have a Four Point. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Um, so, yeah, uh, Heaton, we are excited to have you on the show. So feel free to just, you know, do your alienating the audience thing here with us we, we're not experts but we will we'll try to sound smart about all of our different topics today we're experts at sounding smart 
Oh, perfect. That's, That's all right. I do. I'm just, I'm very good at bluffing and asking questions. So I can, I can do that. I can, okay, I'm good. We'll just keep asking each other <laughs> questions round and exactly. round. Exactly. Well, what, what do you think the deeper meaning is of that, uh, Veronica? <laughs> well, that brings up an interesting question. Yeah. And then I just sit back and go, good job, buddy. You did it again. <laughs> nice. Another one in the can. Let's jump into our quick burns. Yes, the first one comes from Jan, uh, who points out Vanity Fair released a first look at Denis Villeneuve's movie adaptation of Frank Herbert's Dune with Timothy Chalamet as Paul Atreides. Uh, There are some set photos. The article reports the novel will be split into two movies uh, and focus on Paul's story, but will also expand the role of Lady Jessica, played by Rebecca Ferguson. Uh, You might know her from Rogue Nation or Mission Impossible. Uh, And in general, try to feature female characters more prominently. In fact, Leah Kynes uh, was cast as a woman. Uh, The planned release date in the U.S. is December 18th, 2020. Yeah, and man, Oscar Isaac as uh, Duke (laughs) Lido Atreides looks so badass. Like I am, I'm stoked on him. That one shot of him, like looking back at the camera is like super hardcore. That costumes look amazing. I, I am most interested to see Oscar Isaacs because he, he always strikes me as the youthful cocky guy, um, given, you know, the, the indelible mm-hmm. role he plays in my mind in star Wars. So I would love to see him as the, the grim elder statesman. Yeah. He's Duke Leto Atreides, right? That's so yeah. grim. Yeah. That's what I said. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked him in um, Ex Machina. I thought he was great there, and it's a, it's a it's an interesting. Wait, was role. that him? Yeah. Oh my god, you just blew my mind. Okay, apparently I was already. <laughs> he's a great actor. I had he's no. He's a fantastic idea. actor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's, he was also in. Um, oh no, Tom! I forgot the name of the book that is also the movie again with the the weird one. You know, what? all's quiet on the Western Front. You, Arrival. Uh, <laughs> huh? Oh, Arrival. No. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, oh, come uh, on, Tom. With the uh, bear that screams Canterbury with the human voice. We read the book. Is it AI? That Like with a teddy nope. bear? No. Nope. I'm just going to sit back. It's about a <laughs> uh, a woman scientist who goes into the zone. And oh, right, with oh, Natalie Portman. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, he plays the soldier. Um, Yeah, I know what you're talking about. This is the <laughs> thing. The forklift of my dis- mind dis- can never return with this name. insurgents. I don't know. Oh, it's no, some kind of it's, it's a vowel, right? I'd like to buy a vowel. Uh, you get an A because it begins with an A. I'm pretty sure. Uh, no, I just anomaly? tried to say arrival Is it anomaly? again. <laughs> no, I'm going with anomaly. <laughs> it's not. Oh no! It's the Why place where the deer again? have ferns growing. Annihilation. And the bears. Annihilation. Oh. And the bears scream with people voices. Right. Um, yeah. So he's also in that. Cool story, Veronica. But hey, Dune. <laughs> hey, <laughs> Dune looks great. Did you all have you have you heard about the the Dune that never was the the what would have been? Yeah, I like. Um, th- th- as I understand it, they were going to have Salvador Dali play mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. emperor. They were going to have Orson Welles play uh, Harkonnen, and mm-hmm. I like my, this, the mind. The mind reels to think about that. Yeah. A bunch of the art that was made for Jodorowsky's Dune apparently ended up in the hands of George Lucas when he was developing Star Wars. Huh. And uh, if you watch the documentary Jodorowsky's Dune, they they show some comparisons. I don't think I realized how many people, famous people, are in this movie. Like Jason Momoa's in this oh, movie. No, oh, no. Zendaya's yeah. in this movie. Javier Bardem. Wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. All right. Yeah, Zendaya looks good as Shani, I gotta say. Yeah, totally. I'm excited. I okay. I, I I like the old one where they have uh, with with Patrick Stewart from the 70s or 80s. The one David Lynch the, wouldn't put his name on. Yeah. Yes, exactly. The ones where they've got the boxy shields that uh-huh. like, but then they're all rectangular. I think that looks cool. The, the one that they made for sci-fi, the the made for the, the 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 made for TV version. I remember as a kid watching that, and I could see what what appears to be the desert suddenly flapping and and becoming aware that I was looking at a Hollywood backdrop. And it just ruined oh. it for me. Mm. So I would yeah. love to see what they're doing now with a lot of time and money under their belt. They're actually filming it in space. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Elon it's Musk a is an associate producer yeah. on yeah. it. <laughs> they went to Arrakis. Uh, no, you're right. The, the the Lynch Dune, good effects story was a little bit of a, of a hash. Uh, and, and the opposite with the miniseries. The miniseries got the story pretty good, but production values just weren't there. Mm. 
All right. Well, moving on, we have a, a post from Mark who says you can now download the first act of Harrow the Ninth by Tamsin Muir in your preferred ebook format. The article says that the release day is 2 June 2020, contradicting earlier notices about a delay. So I don't know. Edit. Amazon still says release day is 4 August 2020, which was the delayed date. Another edit. Act one is free. Yet another edit. If you're counting, this is the fourth edit since the original post. One edit didn't get an edit tag. I like All the right. recursive edit tag count. Yes. Um, I, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's still going to be uh, August 4th. I, I yeah, also it's still remember be seeing August that, 4th. Uh, that The article just got date. it wrong. But, mm-hmm. but the good news is if you, if you aren't someone lucky enough to be Veronica Belmont and get an early look at it, uh, you can at least get the first chapter ahead of time. And that whoever happened me. to win. Yeah. It's so good. It's so, it was so good. It was so good. Yeah. I've been on an arc roll recently. Um, I did, I did that one, which was phenomenal. Um, I did chosen ones, um, by Veronica Roth, which was also great. And then I'm, uh, midway through, uh, the new, uh, S.A. Chakraborty, um, book in the trilogy. And I'm forgetting the name of the third one right now, but it's also incredible. Um, so yeah, it's it's been I've been getting a lot of reading done. We have a, a bigger conversation about how has quarantine been affecting your reading habits later in the episode. So I'll save it for that. Um, but yeah, the Tamson Weir, great author. Um, uh, Gideon the Ninth obviously up for a ton of awards this award season, and Harrow the Ninth is the fantastic follow up to that that first novel. Let's move on to Jan, who pointed out Tor.com has revealed the title of a new solar punk novella series by Becky Chambers, uh, author of Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. Uh, according to Tor, the series Monk and Robot is about sibling Dex, a tea monk who travels the land, meeting villagers and townspeople. They tell Dex their woes, while Dex brews them tea, custom-blended to their individual needs and personalities. But when Dex meets Mosscap one day, their life is turned upside down. Mosscap is a robot, (laughs) and everyone knows that robots are a myth from the dim and distant past and never actually existed. And it wants to know, what does humanity need? Cue the most delightful road trip you could wish for. Uh, the first book, Psalm for the Wild Built, it will be published in May 2021. Oh, it's so far away. I know. And this sounds like a sword and laser, like a, a book that starts out fantasy and then quickly reveals itself to be science fiction. Yeah, you you had me at the title on this one. I am uh, a, a book of monks and robots. I'm mm-hmm. very, what, what, what is what is solar punk? I'm unfamiliar with that, that genre, though. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. Solar punk. I that's don't want to get it question. wrong. That's why I'm hesitating. I know it has to do with like positivity, being a little more uh, optimistic. Solar punk is a movement that encourages optimistic envisionings of the future in light of present environmental concerns. So mm. saying, okay. hey, the, you know, there, there's stuff going on with the earth, but we don't have to imagine that that means, you know, we fail. Maybe we save things. So it's a techno optimist novel involving yeah. monks and robots. I am down for this. Right. Have you read any of um, Becky Chambers' previous work? I have not, but I'm intrigued. You should check it out. Yeah, Long Way to a Small Angry Planet is uh, it, it's a great one. Uh, there's a there's three books in that series. Yeah, that whole and series is it's, great. It's really fun. Yeah, I still have to to read the 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 final one. It's actually on my bookshelf over here. Record of a spaceborne <laughs> few. Um, but I'll, I'll get, maybe I'll get to that next. I'm in the middle of that one right now, and I'll, I'll oh, talk a little bit more about that, like you said, later on when we talk about the the effect of the quarantine on our book reading habits. Excellent. Mark says, a new online SF anthology about people remotely exploring the world, avatars.inc, and it's edited... By Anne Vandermeer. Uh, it includes short stories by James S.A. Corey, Ken Liu, Sarah Pinsker, Aliette de Bodard, and others. You can read the stories online or download the EPUB or PDF of the full anthology. Um, authors can submit a short story for a chance to win a new iMac Pro and other gadgets. Um, hmm. Yeah. So Vandermeer coming back to haunt me after I couldn't remember the name of uh, <laughs> Jeff Jeffrey Vandermeer's Vandermeer. novel. Yeah. Here's another Vandermeer for you. That'll show me. Yeah, the uh, the the site Avatars Inc. is is very uh, cars in its design, very Star Trek. To presage our our reading conversation, our reading habits conversation here in a bit, I have found that my focus has been affected by this. Not necessarily my desire to read, but my focus. So a mm. short story anthology would be perfect. Yeah, I've heard I've heard a lot of people say that the exact thing. Like short stories mm-hmm. just seem more appealing because you don't have to 
focus on them as long, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of cool, cool looking stuff on this website. You were right. Conal pointed out, for those interested, that Dennis e. Taylor has announced the Audible release date for the new Bobaverse book, <laughs> Heaven's River, coming to Audible September 24th. Yay. That's too far away. <laughs> but but more Bobaverse makes you happy. I want to know. I know. Yes. I kind of I kind of do too. Well, I, I think the, the the other the other cool thing is that under quarantine, time has lost all its, all its meaning. So you can think of it as very far away or tomorrow. Like we're, I, I think we're kind of living in March fifty first. So it doesn't really matter. That's true. That's this true. is like a, a, a like a, like in the wire. You only serve two days in quarantine. The day you go mm-hmm. in and the day you go out. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Um, Stephen says there are two virtual cons coming up that might be of interest to you. Quarren Con 2020, April 24th to 28th. That's over on Facebook. And then May Day Con, May 16th. And you can learn more about that at fanfiaddict.com. Fanfiaddict.com. Mm-hmm. There we go. We'll have we'll have the links in the show notes for you. Um, but that's, I mean, we know a lot of the cons that we regularly attend or visit are going virtual this year or not happening. Um, so it's cool that some purely virtual cons are, are starting to bubble up that weren't previously in-person events, uh, but are just born of this need to have a connection, talk about stuff we love uh, while using technologies that we have to, to you know, virtually be there with each other. Is Koran Khan what I think it is? Nope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I was really hoping it was like like Islamic science fiction. I'm like, oh, cool. I'd love to check that out. Yeah, it's Quarren, like quarantine, not Koran. Oh, my bad. Well, anybody listening wants to start that up. I'm right? game. Yeah. That could be a thing. Yeah. Also, yeah. I can't tell thing. if FanFi Addict was a was a uh, conference before. It seems like it was like we have an example oh. of one that CornCon obviously made for this, but uh, MaydayCon, uh, it seems like was a con that they're like, we're still having it. It's just going to be online, which means anybody can come. You don't have to travel. Very cool. Oh, that's even better. Yeah. I wonder where it typically takes place. This is the first I've heard of it before. Um, so forgive me for not knowing that it was a, uh, an existing event. Well, I'm probably wrong, in which case you're asking for forgiveness for the wrong reason. But that's the impression I get from looking at it anyway. Got it. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm double checking because it says, you know, uh, it, it, it says we've got authors, we've got panels, we've got readings. All you have to do is subscribe and tune in. Uh, okay. I don't know. So let us know. Uh, I'm actually very curious if, if, if I'm wrong about this, if there are fan cons that are doing this, that are saying, you know what, we're still going to have it. It's just going to be online the way Worldcon is planning to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Jenny says, I just saw a new book by Catherine Addison, author of The Goblin Emperor, coming out in June. And it sounds intriguing, but different from the world of her previous novel. I know many of us were hoping for more in that world, and maybe that'll still happen someday. Here's the blurb. Catherine Addison, author of The Goblet Emperor, returns with a fantasy novel of alternate 1880s London where killers stalk the night and the ultimate power is naming. This is not the story you think it is. This is still the blurb, by the way. These are not the characters you think they are. This is not the book you are expecting. In an alternate 1880s London, angels inhabit every public building and vampires and werewolves walk the streets with human beings under a well-regulated truce. A fantastic utopia, except for a few things. Angels can fall, and that fall is like a nuclear bomb in both the physical and metaphysical worlds, and human beings remain human with all their kindness, greed, passions, and murderous intent. Jack the Ripper stalks the streets of this London, but this London has an angel, the Angel of the Crows. This is a lot of stuff. Yeah. It's not what you think it is. Here's all the things it is. <laughs> well, I, I, what, I, what I love is, it would, having not read this, it would seem to me to be perfectly enough to just have werewolves and vampires and angels occupying 1880s London, but going a step further and going, also Jack the Ripper. We do want to yeah. have a little bit of that in that. I'm like, great, cool. Add that, Cherry. Yeah. Also, angels can go off like nuclear bombs in 1880. Yeah, that's a new one. That's, I All feel right. like, with angels and, I mean, sorry, with vampires and werewolves, I'm like, okay, this feels a little bit like, you know... um, <sighs> why is my brain not Gail working Carragher? today? Gail, thank you. Gail Carragher. Yeah. I, I'm, this is why you're my friend. 
You know the words <laughs> I'm trying to think of. This feels a little bit like Gail Carriger, but also, but then the angels thing is very different. And mm-hmm. then the the uh, nuclear bomb thing, that is, that feels totally new. And then also, I guess in a way, the Jack the Ripper one feels a little bit, not histor- that's historical though. And that makes yep. me think of um, kind of like the, um, oh my God. I have to keep now like turning this around. This one I can't get. Sorry. Looking at books. Um, <laughs> All's quiet on the Western Front. Yeah. Yeah. Remark. <laughs> I can't see it here. That's okay. Anyway, um, the one about all the girls who are the daughters of famous monsters. Oh, and who uh, solve yeah, crimes the, together. The 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 um. Oh right. Yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. Frankenstein. I know what you're talking about too. I can't remember the name of it. Theodora Goss. Is that? The yeah, author? it is Theodora Goss. I can remember that. The alchemist, but... something, something, alchemist daughter, the alchemist. Author of The Strange Case of the Alchemist Daughter. <sighs> Thank you. I have, I've had like three sips of this beer. It's not the beer, it's that my brain is just still in work mode and I can't conjure up my sword and laser brain. It's tough, well, man. Um, the Goblin Emperor was not what you thought it was, right? True. It was not really about goblins, the way, certainly not the way you think it is. So, this this blurb copy is not the greatest in my opinion uh but it does get across to me that like hey if you know Catherine addison and you know what she did with the goblin emperor was which was kind of tell this cross like not like any particular human history but pulled from all the different human histories of empires and then had a goblin but not the goblins from all the fantasy but like a different take on goblins now apply that across vampires werewolves angels and put it in 1880s london and we'll throw in jack the ripper i'm in mm-hmm. i'm i'm totally in I'm totally in. All right. Well, now it is time for Barrier Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. And first up, we have a tweet from Steve Mary, who says, This is How You Lose the Time War is a must-read. I'm not sure if it was a poetry book or sci-fi set in a dreamlike universe that words could barely grasp. Probably both. Thank you, Sword and Laser, and thank you, March Madness voters, for this pick. Go for Hugo Awards. Man, that does not feel like it's a tweet, but that was just a tweet. Well done. We'll be talking more about how you lose the time war at the end of the show because it's spoiler time for that. Uh, But Steve Mary, well done. Nice. Um, We had a number of different Goodreads posts that I thought were pretty great this week. Um, This one I referenced a little bit earlier in the episode from Christos, who says, have you been reading more books in quarantine or less? I'm an Uber driver and I used to listen to a lot of audiobooks while driving, but now that I'm quarantined, I've actually been listening to a lot less audiobooks since I'm not working. I've been reading about the same amount of eBooks, but I don't do physical books. What What do you guys say? What's What's been going on for you? Hayden, let we'll let you answer first. Uh, so I, I actually I, I crunched the numbers a few years ago, and I average about three books a month. But what I've found during the quarantine is that I'm still reading the same amount as usual. Uh, I'm definitely not listening to audiobooks as much because I, I tend to listen to audiobooks when I'm at the gym or I'm driving, mm-hmm. and I now am just carbo loading Oreos in my bathtub. So none of that's happening. Uh, so less audiobooks. What I have found is, as I mentioned earlier, my focus has shifted. So I'm reading very little nonfiction. I'm, I'm reading just fiction, and uh, I'm reading it in smaller, frequent bursts, as opposed to like you know reading for an hour before I go to sleep. I might read for half an hour, uh, you know, every night or something like that. What about you, Tom? I have less time now. Uh, and I, I think I'm in an odd position and I, I always feel weird talking about it because it sounds like I'm bragging or complaining about something that I shouldn't complain about, but I, I haven't had much change, but because of that, I also have m- less time to myself. Uh, and, and part of that is my wife works from home. Uh, but also things just take a little longer, uh, to do. Uh, and, and while I don't, go anywhere that takes me away from from recreational activities i didn't go that many places before anyway uh, so so i've i've found it harder i i feel like all the podcasters are on schedule nobody's missing an episode so I, yeah. i'm always behind on my podcasts uh and and so because of that i the little time that i that have on my dog walk uh gets taken up a lot of times with podcasts so i have to portion it out and i just don't have that time to kill while I was waiting for my wife to commute home or, 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 and, and, and I've got more people wanting to collaborate on things because they have extra time. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, this, this all feels like humble bragging, uh, in some respects, but because of that, I'm actually reading less. 
I was just going to say one one major upshot to all of this because I'm I am not enjoying quarantine, but I also say uh, I am I, I experience no FOMO right now, which is nice. I never mm-hmm. I never get to like five <laughs> o'clock and I'm like, man, I bet all the cool kids are hanging out with hot people at a fun place. Like, no, nope. I really should go out. Yeah, yeah. You never you never feel that guilt, right? Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. That is that is definitely a, if you, if I could find a bright point in all this, it's it's definitely that for me. Um, you know, and my family being healthy and safe that that's also a good one. <laughs> sure. Um, sure. But I have been reading a ton more. I've been reading physical books. I've been reading ebooks. Um, but yeah, audio books. Where do you is think definitely... you're getting all this extra time to read from? Uh, the weekends. Um, so I've been reading a lot more on the weekends. So usually we would go something so like... So the weekends is when you used to go somewhere. Okay, right. I got it. I used yeah. to go somewhere and do stuff. And that was always like meeting up with friends or going on a hike or going skiing or whatever. And now I'm just like, well, I cleaned the house already. Guess I'll read a book. <laughs> um, so I have been listening to uh, the Mark Marin podcast. Um, uh-huh. For some reason, his voice and his perspective on things I find very comforting and he just like he's a straight shooter and i just appreciate the things he says and the way he says them and so when i do clean i'm listening to back episodes of his show um rather than listening to audiobooks but yeah i've all the books i've read recently have been physical like hardcover books which is wow. kind of new for me and and fun and i've been wearing my headlamp at night cuz i'm on my snore couch um <laughs> in the office <laughs> cuz i can't all right this is a long tangent but I snore. I've been going to see a doctor. I'm supposed to get a mouth thing that I wear, like not Snorkel. a CPAP, but like a um, mm. a uh, like a tooth, a fitted tooth device that pushes your jaw a little bit forward. Vampire but I fangs. can't get it. Uh, yes, but I can't get it made because I can't go to her office because she's not seeing patients. So I've just been on the snore couch for the past like three months, and um, which is fine, except there's no lamp in there. Like it's either the lights on or it's off, and so. Cause it's also my husband's office. <laughs> so I read with a headlamp every night. They were just reviewing a headlamp reading light on the reading what? glasses podcast. Yeah. Really? In fact, Bria said it was a way too bright. It might be a good one for you to look into. Oh, maybe I do turn mine's my camping headlamp lamp yeah. and I do turn it down to almost its lowest setting. Um, cause it is very bright. It's an led yeah. headlamp. It's super bright. But I digress. Um, mm, so mm-hmm. yeah, it sounds like people people's habits have definitely been switched up. But you know, uh, can I, I just I, I'm greatly impressed with both of you, uh, Tom. Tom, that you are uh, just in more demand than ever, but otherwise on top of everything. And, and Veronica, that you've increased your your reading habits. Uh, I I I don't know that you are uh, the the median response to all of this. I find most of the people I know have really increased their Netflix consumption, myself included. Mm-hmm. Uh, but have not necessarily taken on additional tasks that involve more cognition. So good job. <laughs> yeah, good job, Veronica. I have spent a lot of time with Netflix. Don't don't be fooled. <laughs> can, can I tell you real quick what I've been what I've like the hobby I've developed uh, through yeah. this? I'm I'm trying to see where I, I am in the process of seeing a zombie film from every country that's made a zombie film. Wow. And I'm I'm through I think seven or eight different countries right now and I really enjoy I f- I find the whole zombie thing oddly comforting during lockdown. Uh there, there's something about the pandemic that makes me like I want to watch a zombie film. I feel better. Uh but yeah. beyond that I'm like oh okay like I'm going to get to know French Canada today. I don't know a lot about Quebec. Let's do this. <laughs> so what is the scariest what what country has the scariest zombies so far? Oh, the scare I probably South Korea, I think. Oh yeah. Uh, yep. uh, uh Train to Busan. Maybe, yeah, yeah, train to Busan. Yeah, uh, may, maybe. I mean, I, they're 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 the the fast zombies, right? Yep. Um But but I'll, I'll but but they're, they're, I'll say like the the best f- zombie film that I've seen is called Ravenous, and it's a, a Quebecois film. Mm. And uh, the, the thing that I really like about it is that the like it's standard zombie film in most capacities. It's just that every once in a while you'll catch a zombie looking at somebody with just sheer unmitigated malice, and it's it's enough to really just tweak it a little bit to think that there's a little bit of humanity left and it's not very good. Yeah. I wonder if that's political in nature. 
<laughs> it, it might, maybe I just hate Quebecois deep down. And so whenever I look no, at them, no, I'm like, I was oh, thinking that the guys. zombies are, you know, taking the gaze of the Quebecois towards the federal government. <laughs> certain periods <laughs> yeah. in history. Well, I was going to tell you, I was going to be like, you know, Quebec is not a country. Uh, but then right. I didn't want the Quebecois <laughs> to be mad at me. Mm. Um, so. mm. Yeah, right. Yeah. Somebody's tipping See? the deck on how they feel about the oppressed people of Quebec. <laughs> I don't know if I've told the story or not, but we have we have a, a number of Canadians on my team at work and one of which is Quebecois. And one day we we're having a little party and somebody said like, oh, we've got all of our all of our Canadians here. I don't remember why we were talking about them being Canadian because there were like four or five of them standing together. And he goes, no, I'm Quebecois. Oh, <laughs> wow. And the others were like, Okay. <laughs> So that, uh, that always makes me laugh. Yep. And then um, he stared at them like that zombie did in that movie. Totally. <laughs> totally. Uh, Liam has a post that I, I greatly relate to. He says, with the new Dune film coming in December, hopefully, I've decided on a Dune reread before it comes out. But I have to admit, while I've read Dune maybe 10 times, that's the only Dune book I've read. I want to go ahead and read a bit more, but I'll be honest, I really have no desire to read them all. I was thinking maybe just a few, most important, best of Dune. Looking around, it seems the recommendation is to read these in order. Dune. Paul of Dune, Dune Messiah, The Winds of Dune, Children of Dune, and God Emperor of Dune. And then he goes on to say that the Brian Herbert, Kevin J. Anderson ones, Paul and Winds are highly polarized. People seem to love them as much as Frank's books or hate them with a passion. What do you think? Is there a good representation of the best of for the Dune saga? Would you add or remove one or two? I have an answer. Mm -hmm. Uh, My personal opinion is Dune and Dune Messiah were originally supposed to be a book. Uh, they 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 portioned out Dune Messiah to, to put it out as a separate book. So those two are key. And in fact, probably the only ones you need to. Mm. Is that the, the chronological sequel to it? Does it go Dune, Dune Messiah in the lineup? I think so. Oh, wait a minute. I, I, that sounds wrong to me. Hold on. Let me double check. That. I, feel, I feel like Children of Dune is the one after, but I but it's been a few years. Yeah, I think Children of Dune That's is the second one. That's what I was going to say. I think yeah. you're right. Um, so, so let me take that back. I think Dune and Children of the Dune are the ones that I mean when I say that. We'll okay, read those yeah. two. Uh, and then the third book, ch- is, no, Dune Messiah is the second one. Never mind. Take okay. it back. Children of Dune was 1976. Dune Messiah was 69 and, D- and Dune and Dune Messiah were supposed to be together. I, I do like finding out apparently there's like a machete order to this, uh, which I yeah, did not know yeah. about. Well, it. that's what it sounds like. He, he came across here, but the point that I'm trying to make is reading the first two books is the only thing that's super essential. Then reading the third book, uh, is, is good. The other three that Frank Herbert wrote are divisive on their own. A lot of people don't like God Emperor of Dune, Heretics of Dune and Chapter House Dune, uh, so you, you would be perfectly within your rights to skip those. And then as you, as, uh, Liam pointed out, Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson's are incredibly divisive. I've read, I've read Paul of Dune and the Winds of Dune and I enjoyed them, but they are different. Like you have mm-hmm. to put yourself in the space of thinking, okay, this isn't Frank Herbert, even though it is his son, it is someone writing in his universe. And I highly recommend reading them outside of the original Frank Herbert order because of that, because of that tonal change. I have only read Dune. I'm in the same book as uh, Liam, or same same situation. Same book. Um, yeah, I like club. that. I meant Better to say book. club. But yeah. <laughs> I'm impressed that Liam has read Dune ten times and is only now considering reading the sequels to Dune. That is that is yeah. a lot of time and effort to put into Dune. That's great, though. That's uh, I've, I've, read, I've read two and a half of the Dune series. I read Dune. I read the sequel to Dune, which which I believe we've established as Dune Messiah. And I started reading the third one. And I got about a third of the way through and it just kind of lost me. I, in, in what might presage our future conversation here, I, I loved the world building of Frank Herbert. I, I got, I, I find his prose a little tedious. So in, in the third installment, it read to me like, uh, um, you know, Gore offered him a glass of water. Would you like a glass of water? What did he mean by that? And then like eight paragraphs analyzing what do you want a glass of water meant? And I was like, this is just too much psychological introspection for me. I need just a little bit more to go with. Uh, yeah. Well, if you liked that, God Emperor of Dune has even more. 
Oh, good. <laughs> so God Emperor is, is actually one five-minute event that happens and then nothing but uh, psychological introspection about all of it. Well, I mean, essentially, minor spoilers here, uh, but God Emperor of Dune picks up the tale like a thousand years or so later. It's not exact, but it's it's much longer later where Paul Atreides' son mm-hmm. has essentially become immortal and still rules Dune. Uh, and so it's all about the nature of rule and empire and longevity, et cetera. Well, I'm, actually, I might like that. That might, I, I might like, be, uh, that introspection might be more appealing to you, yeah. but it's still a lot of introspection. Yeah, it's yeah. just not about glasses of water. So it's, if, it's, if it's just one big galactic org chart, I love that stuff. Like, I'm probably the only person that watched Star Wars where they're like, oh, no, we, we have to go talk to the ombudsman about the trade war. And I'm like, oh, cool. I'm going to get out my sketch pad to make a chart and see who, uh, well, how does this work? You will really like Goblin the ombudsman Emperor then. Report to, and how is he yeah. appointed? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe check out Goblin Emperor. I love that. In that That's case. Great. Nice. Um, all right. Well, let's, um, I wanted to jump into the book of the month discussion. Um, and of course we are going to be having a spoilery conversation wrap up of this is how you lose the time war. Um, but first Tom is going to let us know about next month's pick. Well, actually, I, I, re- I really wish Turp Kristen were here because Turp Kristen uh, has done this pick. Uh, you you consulted longtime Sword and Laser listener Turp Kristen about what we should pick for the next book. Uh, and she gave you many good suggestions. We finally settled on Magician Apprentice by Raymond E. Feist. Uh, Turp Kristen says, I read this book 15 or so years ago and remember really enjoying it. I've been meaning to get back to this world. It's large and this group hasn't read any Feist yet, so it seems like a good entry point. So yeah. that will be our May pick, Magician Apprentice by Raymond E. Feist. Now, if you're in the UK, um, you have a conundrum because Magician Apprentice is the first half of the novel Magician, which they broke into two in the United States, Magician Apprentice and Magician Master. If you're in the UK, they just sell it as one book called Magician. So you get two books for the price of one? Yeah. So I guess you just figure out where Magician Apprentice ends and then you know. Or we could keep going into Magician Master, I suppose, and read the whole thing. But it's it's one of those situations. It was published in 1982. Uh, Good and year. it was the Good first year. of the Rift War universe, uh, which he Feist kept writing in until 2013. It's fun. I, I think that is the first fantasy novel I ever read, and I really enjoyed it. I read it in high school and have, have no been kidding. meaning to to track down the rest of the series. Uh, so Kudos to your listener for picking a great tome. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. I have not read this myself. Uh, and it is it is a dominant series. Like Rift War Universe is, is 30 novels uh, plus a few yeah. short story compilations. And Raymond Feist is still alive, still writing. He's got a, a new uh, series underway called Firemane. Uh, it, well, Firemane is the first book, King of Ashes. Um, I'm sorry. King of Ashes is the book. Firemane is the, is the trilogy. Uh, and that was Fire King of Ashes was released in April 2018. He's got two more left to come out in that. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to be reading some Feist. Um, we've been meaning to for a long time. So it's it's great to get a get a listener suggestion and run with it. I'm ready for some some fantasy, some magic. It's all that good stuff. All right. Now it is time for our wrap up of This Is How You Lose the Time War by Amal El Motar and Max Gladstone. Um, so Heaton, did you read the book pick? I did. Excellent. Good job. <laughs> is that it? <laughs> That's, uh, That's our discussion, We're done everyone. Now. Thank yep. you. So. It, I, I figured it was just, this is just a homework assignment and uh, <laughs> I, I get an A on it and uh, we all go to recess now. Uh, get an A for I, effort. I, I read it. Uh, I, okay. I've got, I've got two predominant thoughts on it. Um, one is that I, I enjoy the world building in this book and I really enjoyed the concept of a time war. And I thought that that was executed very well. And, and, um, I enjoyed the, uh, I guess, indirect exposition of it. I thought that that was masterfully done where they never, they never quite explain what a braid is or a strand is. They just sort of let you put that together and they reference it because this is clearly a thing known in this universe. I enjoyed that very much. I, uh, I okay, I'm going to sound like a Luddite here. I, I'm not that much of a Luddite, but I'm going to sound like a Luddite. I don't like poetry. Like I, I, I personally am kind of of the opinion that if, if, if w- once we invented guitars, you should just make a song. Just make a song. And so I found this to be so poetic in the prose that it that it it became too flowery for me. So I didn't mm. like the um the tone of it or the 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 actual um writing style of it, but I, I did enjoy the world it created. 
Yeah, that that's that's something we identified early on is that this was a very poetic story. And if that's not your jam, you may not you may or may not like it. <laughs> yeah, for me, I really I enjoyed that. Um, it took me a while to kind of dig into it, but then after I started vibing on that style. I found myself kind of craving it in a way and reading it like very intensely to try to pick out all the little pieces that were embedded within that that poetry. Um, and I began to look for kind of uh, styles between red and blue and how they were different in their uh, their c- communications. And to me, that was like part of the fun was like, oh, this feel that's that's so blue or that's totally something (laughs) Red would say. Uh, And so I and I loved the 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 romance element of it. Um, Mm. But it was it was like all all good picks. It was pretty polarizing. And we had a a thread from Jan. Jan representing this episode, by the way. Good job, man. Um, He says uh, he has a long kind of post about it, but I wanted to pull out this one paragraph. Um, It was a very surreal, almost dreamlike experience where I was enchanted by the words, but not connected to the story. The language overwhelmed me and the words washed over me. And that felt really wonderful and beautiful in that moment. But I could not follow what was happening and why it was happening and how it was happening. I backtracked multiple times and re-listened to sections, but it didn't really help me to understand what the hell was going on. So his thread is like, did I win the time war or lose it? <laughs> well, and he he says, but I'm not really sure if I care that I don't understand. It was one of the most right. unique and interesting reading and listening experiences. So it sounds like he had all those problems, but didn't mind. Yeah. And I feel like I, I, I felt that reflected in a number of different uh, listeners of our show uh, who were basically like, this is like so different and I'm not sure how I feel about it. And I think that's kind of how I felt in the beginning myself. But then I, I, I came around to it like about 20% of the way through and just really vibed on it. I'm going to nitpick slightly. I, yeah, uh, do I, it. I, I, I got... I got worn out by the lack of conjunct. This sounds like such a, a nitpicky thing. The lack of conjunctions in sentence construction kind of <laughs> wore me out. In in that uh, he, for example, he went to the table and he picked up the glass and set it down and looked out the window. But the the book will only say he went to the table, picked up the glass, set it down, looked out the window. And I that just after a while I was like, ah, just treat it i i I think your your listener described as dreamlike i think is very spot on i think it has a kind of gauzy um not surreal gauzy dreamlike kind of uh, wafting quality to it you know sort of embossed uh diffused lighting throughout uh but but i found that harder to get into as a result of it i i uh I, I was less swept away by the language i liked the the plot line but the 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 language kept kind of I, 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 it was sort of like, I'm, I'm wanting to jog and the, the authors are wanting to sit in rocking chairs on the porch mm-hmm, and sort of mm-hmm. gaze out to the horizon. And, and I, and I wasn't able to join them in that. Well, and, and that's what conjunctions do. They move you along. Uh, so, so your first sentence with the, I picked up the glass and, uh, walked over to the window is motion. I picked mm-hmm. up the glass. I looked out the window is aerated. There's, there's, there's foam right. in there. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's lighter. It's like a sneaky ellipse. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I think I think part of that comes from it being a collection of of letters. And mm. one thing that popped into my mind a couple of times while I was reading was like, this sounds like two people trying to impress each other. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And and I was entertained by that. But I could see where that would be totally grating as well if you, right. if you didn't want that. Yeah, I'm going to say two two English majors trying to impress each other. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll go a step further because there's a lot of literary references in it, uh, and like, and I I assume all of those are real literary references in real life that they're not um, conjured up for the the universe that's being written. But like the, the book Constantinople and that kind of thing, and, I, and so I, I again I was kind of like I get it. You're well read. Uh, I'm gonna give. I think some of them were made up, though. I think some of them were made up too, and and I liked that because I felt like that was true to red and blue. Like that's what these two do, and that starts to fall away in the later letters when they start to actually have you know realize that they have legitimate emotions about each other. What was I gonna say? I I liked that. uh, Well, they also had like serious concerns further into their their correspondence and. 
it was less about wooing one another um, mm-hmm. and more about figuring out how to survive uh, or keep themselves secret. But I loved this post from Tazzy Dave, uh, the red versus blue, like that whole concept. Um, he says red v blue is a common thread for foes through time and fiction. Um, and he links to a video that goes through like famous red versus blues, like, you know, like the American Revolution, for example. Um, let's see, what was, a, what was another one? They uh, Halo, which is the one that popped into my mind as soon as I started reading the book or even heard about the book because uh, Red v. Blue was like a famous Halo web series back in the day um, from Rooster Chicken. I think that was what, who, what they were called. Rooster Chicken? Yeah, I think it was Rooster. Rooster, Rooster Teeth. Rooster Teeth. Thank you, Rooster Chicken. I was like, that sounds <laughs> chicken teeth. like it yeah. doesn't make any sense. Um Pepsi versus Coke, you know, it's just a, it's a time-honored tradition of having red versus blue and just noting that that was a, a funny trope to pull into this. Well, and uh, in, and further emblematic of the poetry involved, the cover is a cardinal, but not a blue jay. It's an ultramarine flycatcher. <laughs> <laughs> we get it. <laughs> I uh, I was wondering why not just go with a blue jay because a blue jay actually kind of looks like a cardinal, just blue. Well, apparently the authors didn't have anything to do with it. Uh, yeah, uh, Amal El Matar answered the question uh, saying, great question. The red one's a cardinal. The other one's an ultramarine flycatcher, according to Greg Stadnick, who designed the cover. I kept thinking it was either a bluebird or a tree swallow, says the author of the book, but I was incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, and then finally, uh, we have this post from Ruth, and it's a long one, but I do want to cover some of it. Um, she says, I originally read this book only in December, and I just reread it and loved it even more the second time around. Um, it's short but densely packed with details, so I find it yields more on a reread. It's not going to be to everyone's taste. I mean, I could say the same of any book, but this one feels like a proper Marmite book, which I, I don't know if the people <laughs> use that as a phrase regularly, but I feel like we should That's incorporate great. that more often. Yeah. yeah. You love um, it or you hate here, it. Yep. But here are the reasons why I, Ruth, love it. For Australians in the audience, that means Vegemite book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she goes through the reasons why she loved it, which include the language being really poetic and beautiful. Um, and then, as I mentioned, when we were discussing Gideon the Ninth, I'm totally always a sucker for a good spoiler warning, just in case, but I don't think this will be a surprise to anyone. La la la, clicking the spoiler link. Queer enemies to lovers romance. I, we did have two of those in a row. Um, especially one as star-crossed and epic as this one. Their love spans eons and galaxies and yet has all the yearning, unfulfilled, etiquette-bound quality of a good historical romance. Sign me the F up. Uh, Number three, it's easy to miss at first, but there's also a lot of humor here. And I found this, Veronica found this to be true as well. Uh, Lots of buried puns and sly references. um, And the... So this one was the blue... Dabadi. Is that the like I'm blue Dabadi? I think it was Eiffel 65. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking in my head too, but I wasn't sure. Um, she goes on to say the world building is done kind of elliptically, but I love it nonetheless. The references to the viney hivey elf world and the techie mechie dystopia, the glancing references to bio implants, all the stuff about the braid and upthread and downthread. From a sciencey point of view, it's all a bit hand wavy and I'm sure if you're looking for some hard SF, this isn't going to satisfy you. But as a setting, it's intriguing. And then finally, the historical and cultural references and the images the authors conjure up. The idea of a London that's the London other Londons dream about. Watching Romeo and Juliet countless times and never being sure how it's going to end. Gazing at the clouds with Genghis Khan. There are so many references packed in here, you could write a book equally as long unpicking them all. And then she goes on to say that some of them probably went over her head. Um, but, you know, that's just how it goes. That's why you got to do a reread. This, this, I think the authors were having fun. They said, let's make the conceit letters so that we can hide behind that a little bit and just throw out some odd references and plot ideas for alternate universes that we'll never get around to writing stories in. Uh, and I, I kind of enjoyed that part of it, that, that sort of toss away, you know, all the London that other Londons dream about, et cetera, et cetera. Is the term epistolary? I, I listened to yes. your your mm-hmm. podcast where you kicked off this particular book, and I, I learned that new term epistolary. Yep, that was the word, <laughs> which I also couldn't remember earlier in this episode. Uh, so thank you for for looking into that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so this was do, do, a, a, do, out of curiosity. Do either of do either of you know if the if the authors did kick it back and forth? Like, is one author principally responsible for red and one author yes. principally yes. responsible for blue? That is correct. Max Gladstone wrote one of them, and Amal El Matar wrote the other. And the cover art indicates that perhaps Max wrote red and Amal wrote blue. Mm, okay, yeah. There was, I did know that at one point, now I can't remember, and I think I mentioned it on that first episode, and now I can't remember. So it doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't really matter, I guess. Well, that's because it's, we're doing yeah. two days of quarantine, and this is in between those two days. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that, I think, wraps up our episode. Um, Heaton, thank you so much for being here. Where can everyone follow your, your online travails and tribulations and trials and podcasts and whatnot? <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for having me. It is a delight to be on. I enjoy your program, and this is also my my primary source of sci-fi news, so I am thrilled to be on it with you. Uh, if people were not too put off by my assessment of the book, uh, they could go check out my sci-fi podcast, which is Alienating the Audience, wherever you download or steal your podcasts. And, uh, and uh, uh, as I said earlier, Tom is on this week, and we're discussing Star Trek Deep Space Nine. That was a lot of fun. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. It was it was a, it's just a pleasure to have a conversation. And and I discovered things about Deep Space Nine that I hadn't ever thought about before talking to you. Back at you, I, I titled the episode "Stealing One of Your Lines" uh, because I thought you had such a profound understanding of it. Oh, thanks. And uh, yeah, I'm going to listen to that one myself. It's funny. I did a, an icebreaker conversation with a, another remote coworker recently. And the icebreaker question was like, if you could live in any, live or visit any fictional place, where would you go? And I actually said DS9. Nice. <laughs> nice. I don't know why. It was like three days ago. I had no idea you were doing this show. But I was like, Deep Space Nine, in the terms of Star Trek, it's relatively safe for the most part, most of the time. Lots of interesting characters popping through. Pretty cool. Yeah. You get replicators and holodecks and all the whatnot you would get on a ship. But, you know, mm -hmm. so that was my, that was my reasoning. Good job. Yeah. Agreed. Thanks. All right. And for you out there, our show is currently entirely funded by you, our patrons. Thank you so much to all the folks who back our show. Uh, if you want to help support us, you can head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. And you can also support the show by buying books through our links. Find links to the books we talk about and some of our favorites at swordandlaser.com slash picks. Send us an email feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. We are on Instagram and Twitter with the handle at swordandlaser. And you can join in all of our discussions over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. We will see you next time. Bye. 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 Like you're there!